The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. I think waiting is an appropriate thing for us to talk about because, after all, the season of Advent is inherently about waiting. It's about anticipating the arrival of Jesus. During that time, we're waiting. So I want to talk about waiting this morning. And waiting is an interesting word. From a, from a word nerd perspective, now, I'm actually not a word nerd. Um, I don't know what the word is for somebody who's cool but likes words, but that's actually what I am. But, um, but I know some word nerds. And, and from, you know, if you think about just the, the word waiting, it's inherently neutral, isn't it? It just means waiting. It's not good or bad. It just just is. It's not one of those words that has something built into it uh, that makes you think good or bad. And the truth is that, that waiting can be either or sometimes both. Even though it's a neutral word, it, there's, there's actually, we all know, there's plenty of emotion connected to the idea of waiting. And, and all of you just told a story about a time when you were waiting for something or maybe something you're waiting for right now. And the emotion of that is real. It might be positive emotion or negative emotion, but, but it's definitely significant. Um, some of the things that I thought about when I, when I started to think about times that I was waiting for something, um, the, the first thing that came to mind was uh, a little over a year ago when, when Tracy and I went to Ireland for our 10th anniversary vacation trip. Um, that was one of those big trips that we'd been planning for months. And so as it got closer and closer, it seemed like time slowed down, right? And we were waiting and waiting to leave. And it just seemed like it was never going to get here. But that, re- that waiting was actually quite joyful. We were, you know, it was fun to think about the fact we'd been married for 10 years. It certainly was fun to think about all the cool stuff we were going to do and see when we were traveling. Um, and we had paid cash for that trip, and it, so there was no nervousness about the, you know, our credit card bills getting rung up and all that stuff, and, and so it was a, a very joyful season of anticipation for us. We were just, we couldn't wait for it to come. On the other side of things, I, I, I've been thinking this month a lot about uh, when my grandfather died, because it, next month will be the 10-year anniversary of when, when we lost my granddad, and... Um, he, he was sick all through the holidays, and we knew that he didn't have much longer to live. And so there was a period of a, a week or so there where I was literally just waiting for my mom to call me and tell me that her dad had died. And that was a waiting that was not at all joyful. And I knew that was coming. I didn't, it was uncertain when or how that would happen, but I knew it was going to happen. And so I would, at that time, the phones were, um, they had these weird phones that hung on the wall. <laughs> uh, and you could only take them so far away. 
Um, but I was literally like waiting by the phone some, some nights, w- waiting for this bad news. And so th- that was a waiting that was dreadful. I mean, it literally was, I was filled with dread at what was going to happen because my, I knew my mom was going to call me and tell me this terrible news that was going to affect me, but it was affecting her even more and I wasn't going to have the words to say and I just, I, I kept going over this stuff in my mind as you do when you're waiting for something and I didn't know what was going to, how that was going to happen. And then the third type of waiting that, that is very real for me and my family right now is, uh, as many of you know, Tracy's pregnant, and so we're waiting for a new baby. And some of you in the room are, have this especially big smile on your face because you are also waiting for a new baby. And um, some of you have had babies in the past, and so you know what that's like. And that kind of waiting is a mixture. Isn't that one a mixture? You're, it's, it's like you're so, you're so excited about it, and you can't wait to to hold the baby and, you know, uh, all that stuff. But at the same time, there's a little bit of fear involved with that too because there's always risks that can happen during a pregnancy and, and you, you don't want to worry too much about them, but you, have to, you can't help but think about them, right? I mean, ask, ask any, any mother in the room about the time, because every, every pregnant woman has this time at least once, when, when she couldn't feel the baby move for a couple of days, and that, you just like get the look on their face when, when they tell you about that story. And, and you'll see how sometimes these waiting for this beautiful thing can also be filled with a pretty significant amount of, of concern and even fear. And of course, thinking about pregnancy is, is maybe the most obvious way to imagine the season of Advent. Um, it's almost so obvious that it's cheating for me to use it. I feel like I should come up with something more, um, <laughs> less direct, so I seem smarter. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Mary was pregnant with Jesus during the first Advent, <clears throat> excuse me, leading up to that first Christmas. So pregnancy and Advent, it just sort of they, it makes sense that it goes together. Um, not that I'm qualified to talk about what it's like to be pregnant, uh, I just want to be clear about that. I'm not saying that I understand that in any way <laughs> as just a man and so forth. Um, but I can actually speak about what it's like, as, as several of you in the room can, to be an expectant father. And there's, there's plenty of, uh, of waiting that's involved with that as well. And that's actually the perspective of Joseph, whose uh, story is told in today's uh, gospel reading. And so I'd like to read this passage to you from Matthew chapter 1 about Joseph. And if you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles under your chairs. You can use them. And uh, you turn to page 784, or 783, excuse me. Um, you, You can also just listen if you prefer. That's okay. And we'll read verses 18 through 25. It's always interesting to see how the Gospels start. They all have to start with Jesus somehow, right? And um, Matthew starts here with uh, the first narrative in, in the Gospel of Matthew is about Joseph. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, wink, wink, um, she, 
she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now, from our 21st century perspective, that's not at all uh, righteous, and, and that wouldn't be the, the kindest thing to do, just like dismiss the pregnant lady to deal with her problems by herself, but don't like make a big deal out of it. Um, but in, in this culture, this was actually, um, this is about as, as nice uh, a result as an unwed pregnant woman could hope for, uh, particularly if the baby was not um, the product of her union with her fiancé. <laughs> so her, her husband Joseph planned to dismiss her quietly, verse 20, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of uh, Yeshua, just Joshua, and that means he saves. So That's why the angel says, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. So a couple things stand out to me here about this story with Joseph. The first thing is really interesting. It has nothing to do with Advent, but it, it, it fits with something else that I always like to say, and so I want to point it out. You notice in verse 20 that, that Joseph has this problem about what to do with his pregnant wife, and he thinks about it for a while, and then he decides what he's going to do. And only after he decides what he's going to do and starts to take action with it does the angel appear to him and tell him what to do, and it's actually to tell him to, not to do the thing he's decided. And I think that is such an interesting window into how God works when, when he wants to guide us <laughs> to something. You know, I, how many of you heard me talk about the parked car? Like, you, you can ask God to help you steer it all you want, but you're still not going to go anywhere until you press the gas pedal, shift it into drive, and move the car. And then it's actually easier to steer, by the way. <laughs> Just when he had decided, resolved to do this, then the angel appeared to him and, and gave him some guidance and direction. And actually it was to say, no, why don't you do this instead? So I thought that was really interesting. But Joseph is in a, a really difficult spot in, uh, in ancient culture to have a, a pregnant fiancé was, was very bad in the first place, um, even if it happened by the usual method. <laughs> and... So aside, but, but even from, aside from all that kind of cultural and social pressure that he would have had to deal with with this pregnant woman um, and the practical implications of how to, to help her w- without bringing shame on her and so forth, he has a, a spiritual problem here too, doesn't he? I think sometimes we read these old Bible stories and we think, oh, it was primitive culture. They would believe anything. But that's not fair to them. They weren't stupider than us. They might not have known what a sperm and an egg were, but they know how babies were made. Right? I promise they knew how that happened. <laughs> right? 
And so he had to decide whether to accept Mary's story. No, I have not been with another man. I promise. Um, well, it wasn't me. <laughs> I love when babies laugh at grown-up jokes. That <laughs> makes me so happy. <laughs> so he has to decide whether to believe her story. And then he also has to decide whether to believe this angel that appeared to him. And you know, some of us have had very clear spiritual direction at times in our life. And it feels so real and clear for about an hour. And then as you get farther away from that, you're like, man, what did I eat? <laughs> you know, did, did, I have a, did I pass out? Did I, did I have a dream? Is this a flashback to the 60s? Even though I was born in the 70s? I mean, like... But he, he took that step of faith. And he decided not to divorce Mary, not to dismiss her, and to work with this situation. He, he, in that moment, he believed enough to change course and, and do what he believed God was telling him to do. What also happens to be what I believe God was telling him to do, but that, that wasn't much good to him at the time. Um, and so then his options were what? It's not like the, the entirety of Jesus' life was going to be played out in the next ten minutes. So it would be all neat and clean for him, and he could, he could feel very good about his step of faith. He had to wait who knows how much longer before the baby was born and say, well, does that, does that look like the blacksmith, <laughs> you know, or the mailman? Or... And then he had to wait this whole, for this baby to grow and become an adult and be, become the Messiah. And even then, he may have had trouble believing this story. 30 years later, he may have still been going, I really don't know. <laughs> we want our faith to be confirmed right away. But that's not how it happens. And so, the reason that I, I asked you to start thinking about times when you were waiting for something big is because I think that Getting your mind in that place is, a, is a, as decent a way as any to, to prepare yourself, to, to help yourself get ready for the concept of waiting for Jesus. And remember, I, I said on the first Sunday of Advent, three weeks ago, um, that there are three types of Advent that I wanted you to think about during this season. Do you remember that? The first Advent is um, the most obvious one where we think about, we, we sort of, bring our, our brains back in time and imagine waiting for, for Jesus to arrive as a baby in Bethlehem. And the second uh, historically accepted um, purpose for Advent is to think about the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And then there's that third way, third way I wanted you to think about things, that, that sort of sideways Advent, where I asked you to think about a person that you, you love and how you want Jesus to arrive for that person, uh, a son or a daughter or a father or a coworker or a neighbor or yourself. How that, how you 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 want to anticipate the arrival of Jesus in your own life or in the life of those you love in a way that he's real to them or real to you. 
maybe for the first time and maybe, maybe as in a, a renewal of, of something that was real a long time ago and you haven't felt it lately. So for some of us, the season of Advent has been the type of waiting that is joyful. And we've fully expected and anticipated not only the arrival of Jesus as the Messiah, but also as our Savior, our God, the one who leads us and sustains us. And it's been very easy for some of us to, to anticipate that with nothing but happiness and excitement. But others of us have, have found this waiting, this Advent season, to be the other kind of waiting, the, the dreadful kind, the kind where we don't really know, aren't really sure what's going to happen. And we've been wondering if what we're, what we're waiting for is actually something that will never happen. Do you ever um, miss the bus when you're in school? I, I had this um, <clears throat> quarter of a mile walk down from my house to the end of the dirt road that I lived on where the main, main street was, and uh, the bus came along that street to pick us up. And I remember on certain occasions getting down to the bus stop and waiting and waiting and waiting and going, where is the bus? Why is it so late? I can't... Oh, no... I must have been late. I missed the bus. The bus is never coming. <laughs> I have to figure out what I'm going to do now. Right? And in that moment, do you remember that feeling? That feeling when you first realize that what you're waiting for is not coming? So you, maybe, maybe you're wondering during Advent if Jesus is ever going to arrive or if you, you missed that bus or if there was no bus. <laughs> Is he ever going to work in your life for the lives of your friends or family? Is he ever going to make himself known to them? Is he ever going to make himself known to you again? The way maybe he did a long time ago. Is the thing that you're waiting for even real? I said earlier that waiting is a neutral term. And that's true, but one thing that's always true about waiting, whether you're waiting for something good or bad, is that there's a sense that you are unfulfilled while you're waiting. By definition, right? There's something that is going to happen, and it hasn't happened yet. You know, if, that, if that doesn't immediately make sense to you, maybe it would help to think about it this way. What if you wanted to do something and somebody... Somebody said to you, wait. Right. So now we're not just talking about waiting as this neutral term. Somebody is saying to you, wait. I say that to my son sometimes, and he does not like to hear it. <laughs> People say it to me sometimes, and I do not like to hear it. Wait. Do you, do you, if it's in the imperative form that way, again, not a, not a word nerd, just a cool person who likes words, but if it's used in the imperative form... That, that puts some of the emotion right into it, doesn't it? Do you, do you sense the powerlessness that you have when someone is telling you, wait? 
the helplessness, that, that, that lack of fulfillment, that inability to do the thing that you want to do, the realization that this is going to be one of those times in life where you don't get your way, where you can't write the script. And the truth is that you're all going to have to endure periods of unfulfilled waiting throughout your lives. I don't think that the, the world ever becomes a place where that is not true. It's the ra- reality that we live in. Theologians have a, a term that they use to describe the state of the universe, <laughs> um, Christian theologians. And they, they say that we are in an already slash not yet tension. Right? And what theologians mean when they say this is that uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has already accomplished God's desire to save his people. And our faith in him does that. But the work of Jesus has not yet fully been completed. And so that's one of the reasons why the theologians tell us that during Advent we need to not only anticipate the arrival of Jesus as a baby because of the ministry that he had and his death and resurrection and all that, but also to anticipate his second coming where he will complete that work. He will finish that. All right? And so theologians call this the already not yet tension. But it's, I, I think it's not only true of the whole cosmic order of the universe, but it's also true about each one of us. We are, all of us who, are, who call ourselves Christians, in an already slash not yet tension. We believe that Jesus has already saved us. We are made righteous before God by the work that He did. But it's not yet finished forming us into the image and likeness of our Creator. The work that He started is not Finished. There's even a little verse in the Bible. Sometimes, if you were if you grew up in church or going to camp and thing, you probably had to, to memorize this verse from Philippians about He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus. Something along those lines, depending on your translation. So, there's the implication there is that it's it's underway, but it's not it's not going to finish um, even in your lifetime, probably. And we are, all of us, waiting still. And sometimes the not yet seems a lot more obvious to us than the already. And we, we feel like the original disciples who saw the risen Christ and interacted with him for 40 days and then one day found themselves on a hill watching him being taken up into the clouds with their mouths hanging open going, What? Wondering if our best days with Jesus are maybe behind us. Why, why would Jesus have worked so powerfully among us only to leave us behind in that way? Surely there has to be more to this story. Well, as a matter of fact, I think there is more to this story. 
say it again. Remember, at Advent, we are only, not only anticipating the arrival of Jesus as a little baby, but we are anticipating the second coming of Jesus. Now, this is one of those topics in the church that uh, people tend to get pretty excited about, the end times and the return of Christ and, and Armageddon and all, all of that stuff. And I think very often we, uh, pastors are very guilty of this, but <clears throat> we, we get so caught up in the, the part of the Bible that describes this end of everything, in the spectacle of it, right? And so we talk about lakes of fire and uh, winged beasts and cryptic numbers and all of that stuff, right? And the cynical side of me says that also happens to be the kind of thing that sells books. Um, but it's also there. So, I mean, it's, it's not like it's not worth talking about that stuff. But I think all of that imagery, which demands so much heavy poetic-type interpretation is a distraction from some of the other things in that same book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, describing how things are going to end. There is a lot in that book that is so clear. (laughs) You know, you do not have to write a seven-book series to understand what what some of this stuff is about. Hey, listen, I... I think every Christian goes through that stage where that is the most fascinating thing in the world, right? For me, it was when I was growing up listening to Christian rock. There was a Christian rock band called Striper. Oh, yeah. Is Striper fans, huh? Yeah? To Hell with the Devil. That's right. That was their, their big hit song. Um, and they had Revelation 2010 as their little thing that was printed on their albums. Remember that, right? So I, I could have, at the time, recited the verse... And the devil who has deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. And and then you crank that song up, right? So everybody's gone through that phase, whether it was, you know, of the mullet variety or uh, (laughs) of the reading the paperback in the cafe variety, right? So I'm not, I don't mean to disparage anybody who's been into that kind of stuff. But honestly, Revelation 2010, come on, (laughs) um, how about Revelation 21.4? How much interpretation does this verse require? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, it goes on to say. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. That, to me, is the real message of the second coming. That's, the, that's what we really ought to anticipate at Advent, when we're thinking about that second variety of Advent, the return of Jesus, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And by the way, what a wonderful counterpart to today's psalm. Remember the psalm that we recited back and forth at the confession time? Psalm 80? That, that selection was interesting to me. That's, that was what the Advent assigned for today. It's not what I would have, or not, not, not the, excuse me, not the Advent. That's what the lectionary assigned for today's Advent readings. Um, it's not the one that I would have picked. So wasn't that sort of cheerless for the Sunday before Christmas? Right? But then I started thinking about 
Advent and in this way that I've been talking about this morning, about, about waiting and unfulfillment. And then it started to make a little more sense. When you start thinking about this, this verse that I just put on the screen from Revelation, it makes a lot of sense because in the psalm it says, you may remember this line, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Right? And some of us have been in that place this past couple of weeks going, did I miss the bus, right? Is all this for nothing? And the psalm goes on to say, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. That's a lot of crying to fill a, a Nalgene bottle, right? And then in Revelation, <laughs> it's not tears that are coming so much that there's enough of them to drink. It's he's wiping the tears away. What a beautiful consummation of, of all of that. And you might say, okay, well, fine. It's, it's all well and good to think about this in, as, as some unattainable cosmic future for the universe. I don't really care about that because, well, I'm probably not going to be here when that happens. But what I'm trying to say is that I think our lives mirror this rhythm. That each one of us plays out the already not yet thing, plays out the... This, the this advent of waiting and the arrival at Christmas of Jesus in our own lives, individually, and in our relationships and our families. Christ's work of redemption is done in us, but the, the, the final healing, where the tears are finally actually wiped away, is not, not until the end. And here's the thing, I don't think it just is true for us as individuals that we have this experience one time, you know, our life. There's salvation, there's like Advent, and then there's, you know, the, the final completion of things, either when we die and meet our maker or uh, if we happen to be here when the revelation stuff takes place. I think that actually plays itself out in our lives again and again and again and again and again. I think we're actually probably going to know lots of highs and lots of lows and lots of satisfaction and lots of moments of unfulfilled anxiety and lots of Christmases, so to speak, and literally. But, but those Christmases are preceded by Advents. Right? Each Christmas has its own period of darkness that precedes it. And you have to travel through that to get to the light. And then when you're there, <laughs> you may not stand in the light very long before you have the next one to go to. So don't despair in the darkness. It's there to prepare you for the light. <laughs> and each little bit of darkness... Each little advent that we, that we travel through takes us to the next little Christmas where we see a little bit more, where we're drawn a little bit closer to Him. And a little bit closer to Him. And a little bit closer 
to the final light of full communion with God. And that's, that's what I want you to, to hear today, that we want to get all the way all at once. But you probably are only going to get a little bit closer this Advent season. You get to Christmas this year, and it's going to come again next year. Maybe more than once if we're using the figurative language, right? And it would be a real shame if your expectation for for how God will reveal himself to you is that it's going to be everything all at once. Remember how long Joseph had to wait before his faith, the step that he took, could be confirmed. It would be a shame to, to expect it to all happen at once and then feel let down and dismiss your faith as having been useless just because it doesn't come to its fruition like by dinner time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this season of Advent uh, and for the ways that, that we have been able to anticipate the arrival of Jesus, not only as uh, the Messiah and as our Savior, but also as the, the one who sustains us and um, we ask that you would help us to give thanks even in the darkness, even in those periods of uh, advent-like waiting where we are unfulfilled, where our faith seems weak. Help us to give thanks in those times and to anticipate a new Christmas, a new arrival of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives that confirms and affirms the faith that we once placed in him. Thank you for a a community of faith where being honest about times when we are struggling doesn't result in us being shown the door. And uh, I pray that you would, you would give strength to those of us whose faith is strong so that we have the ability to uphold and help those who are struggling. And most of all, God, I pray that as we transition during this week from the season of Advent to the season of Christmas, that Jesus would be real among us that his arrival would signify the start of something new, a new faith, new life in him and in you. We pray. Amen. We talk about communion as food for your souls sometimes here. 
It's a, a John Wesley expression that I'm very fond of. And sometimes when you're going through a hard time, it, you, don't, you don't feel hungry. Have you ever been so stressed out that you don't feel hungry? But you know you have to eat. <laughs> or you're, you're not going to get through it, literally. Like if you didn't eat, you wouldn't make it. And so you force yourself to do that. And the nice thing about food is that it sustains you whether you want it to or not. <laughs> and so your soul may not feel very hungry. And, and I know that some of you, as a result, maybe stop taking communion. Um, but I want to encourage you to continue to take communion during the times when your soul doesn't feel hungry because it still needs its food. <laughs> it still needs the presence of Jesus. And uh, so that might give you something to think about <laughs> as you prepare to come to the table. Uh, receive this sacrament uh, of Christ's body and blood given for you. And as you do, receive the food for your souls. And uh, if you are following Jesus in this place, this is a time and a place for you to do that, um, whether or not you feel like you're really good at it. <laughs> but if you're not following Jesus and you're here as an observer or as a, a, somebody who's seeking answers and questioning, um, it might be better for you to, to use this time to think and meditate and pray a little bit. Um, but I'd encourage you to respond however God might be leading you to. And we'll continue in worship. Uh, and so you can come to the table whenever you're ready. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.